Welcome to episode five of Beloved by God. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. I'm here with my friend Nathan, who is an incredible man of God. I've been a friend of mine for over five years, and I met Nathan at my rock bottom, and I was very encouraged by this man. I remember when he first walked in, I saw him, and I'm like, that's a big dude. I was more uh, impressed with just his humility, his openness, and his just desire to help others. And so, Nathan, welcome. I'm glad to have you. Thanks for having me, Will. Yeah, man. It's an honor to be here and a privilege. Well, it's an honor to be here with you. Let's go ahead and begin with a prayer. Father God, I'm so grateful for Nathan. I'm grateful for this company that he has started. I'm grateful for the people that he has helped and the way that he helps people. Uh, he is a great example of the hands and feet of Jesus, and I know you're going to continue to bless and use him and allow people to be just encouraged, loved on, and lifted up out of the ditch. Father God, I ask that you bless his family and you bless all the people that work for him and continue to prosper this man and his ministry. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Nathan. So the first question I have is, let's start at the beginning. What is your earliest memory and how would you describe your upbringing? Yeah, Will, that's a great question. Um, you know, earliest memories are honestly in a bee yard working. Uh, my father had an apiary, still does. Um, you know, as a five-year-old kid, I believe he had several hundred colonies at that time. And, um, you know, I don't want to call working a traumatic experience, but working for my dad might have been a traumatic experience uh, and, and not by any special design. It's just the way that dad was. He was rough. Um, but my earliest memories are, are, are work and manual labor. I was raised on a farm, tough work. There was an expectation that um, there was a crop that had to be harvested and, and, and we were the labor, especially as a child, you know, and, and there was no nurturing in that match. And I appreciate that. It made us tough, and, right. you know. Absolutely. So what was your life like before Christ? Yeah. So, you know, b- before Christ um, and just to kind of go back a little bit, I, I was raised in the church, you know, um, we were raised in a Southern Baptist church here in Lafayette. And from the time that I was a kid, I can remember being carried into the church. And so we had a very good upbringing. It was my parents' God. It wasn't my God, right? And so there had to be life experience there to generate um, a relationship, right? Right. Um, That's how me and your relationship blossomed. You know, there's time, there's equity in the relationship now. And so for those things to happen, life has to happen. And and as I grew older, my earliest memory before Christ would, would really just be trying to figure out who I am. I think as kids, most kids want to be a hero, some kind of hero. They dress as Batman, Robin. You know, there's all these different players out there that kids dress. Even my kids, I see it now. They're, right. they're trying to be somebody else, you know, but really we all have a hero in us mm. and God put it there. And I didn't know that. And so before Christ, there was just this constant search of who am I and why am I here? What did I show up in the earth to do? Right. Maybe I didn't know that's what I was looking for, but inherently, as I look back through the course of time, that's exactly what the search was. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my time? And so before Christ, when you're in those scenarios, you're basically running around in circles because the reason you're here is to make God known. And if you don't know God, how can you make somebody known that you don't yet know? And so there was a very lost feeling. There There was a lack of confidence. You know, and there was all those things where, where there was just no, I did not know who I was and why I was here. And so you can about imagine the aftermath of that until I did meet Jesus. Right. You know, ironically, I, I got into boxing because I got beat up at church. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was walking down the stairs. I was probably about 12 years old and there was some twins yeah. and they were probably about 15, 16. They, I remember they were driving, so they were older than me. 
and they, they made fun of the way that I walk, you know, um, at church, pulled out a knife and, and told the, the kids, hey, if you have something to say again about the way that I walk, I will cut you. <laughs> and I put the knife up and, and turn around. And, and these kids, I didn't know their dad owned a boxing gym and they beat the snot out of me at church wow. outside. Wow. <laughs> so you had to learn how to fight. Well, yeah, I went home and, and I was beat up. And my right. dad says, what, what's going on with you? What boy, what'd you do, boy? You know, and it's like, well, I, I got smoked at church and I want to learn how to fight. Right. And so that was the beginning of that. And, and, and you know, um, Boxing was actually not something I was crazy about, but my dad went to every practice and I really wanted to connect with my dad, Yeah, you know, and because when I was around my dad, I felt secure and I felt like, you know, there was I identified with him right. and in him. And so when he was with me in those moments at boxing practice, boxing matches, I was able to make him proud. And we, there was there was a bond right. and there was a longing. Right. And I, looking back now, there's a longing for an earthly father from all of us. It's in your DNA, you know, but I believe even in that, I was trying to fill this void of a heavenly father and, and all those things. But let me tell you what boxing did, because I believe we all have these life experiences that culminate and add up to equal our destiny. When I look back at boxing, I was a four-time Louisiana State Golden Gloves champion, but I fought for seven years. Wow. So that tells you something I didn't win every year. Sure. There was three years of losing before I became a winner. So in that season of life, though I did become drug addicted, I, you know, bones were broken, teeth were knocked out, pain medication was administered yeah. and abused severely. And, and during that season of life, I, I learned about drugs mm -hmm. and I learned what getting high was. And the people that I was fighting with taught me things that they probably shouldn't have. And all those kind of things happened. But here's what I did take away from that experience. I learned how to persevere and be persistent right. and never quit yeah. because I wanted to quit. My dad would not let me quit. I stuck with it. I stayed with it. And I did this thing. It's this principle that I call diligence will. Okay. And this is the Carmichael version. This yeah. is the Carmichael definition. Do not look, do not check me with Webster. My last name is Carmichael, not Webster. <laughs> but in my world, diligence is just doing a little thing for a long period of time to get a big result. Yeah. And I saw that in boxing. I just showed up. I just showed up. Dad would bring, he wouldn't let me quit. And over the course of eight years, I became the best fighter in my weight division in the state. And I've applied that principle to other areas of my life now as an adult that's right. matured in Christ and said, hey, hold on. If I just read in the mornings daily over the course of years, I will become a spiritual giant. And that's exactly what's happened in my life. So I don't want to take anything else with the box, but that is something that boxing added. It was a big part of my growing up. Yeah, I remember growing up wanting to get my father's affirmation, I'm trying to get affirmation because I'm not getting it through my grades. And so my father wanted me to play football. So as a seven-year-old kid, I'm playing against nine, 10, and 11-year-olds because my dad's the coach. Yeah. And you're and, the size of those kids because you're a big boy. Kids, yeah. But I don't have the maturity of those kids. And, and not saying that nine, 10, 11-year-olds have maturity, but uh, against the seven-year-olds. Even the hand-eye coordination. Oh my gosh. And yeah. my dad uh, is super tough as my coach. I mean, I, I used to have nightmares about this stuff, but I will tell you one thing that I don't regret about playing sports, especially young is that I learned how to be resilient. I learned how to be adaptable. I learned how to, like you said, persevere yes. and fight through the pain. Uh, and then realize that even in this, I'm not getting what I desired, which was my father's affirmation. And my father's affirmation, even if it was a, a pat on the back or a great job, it would be fleeting. You know, it would be this fleeting. Yes. I don't, it's a moment. It's right? a moment. And, and so then, you're living for a moment. Right. I would live in that moment and then I would end up feeling sad afterwards because football eventually ends. Yes. You know, practice is eventually over. You're, you're waiting on a football game when, when really if you live your life right. for God, you're affirmed by God continually yeah. every day. Wake up every day 
Yeah. And you're just like, God, what's next? Like, you're not living for a moment. You're right? living for God. Yes. And there's constant affirmation. I get it. Yes. And so that's, I 100% can relate to that. Yeah. So what are some circumstances that maybe our, our audience would be able to relate to? You know, I, so for me, I'll just kind of dive into that a little bit with the, with the drug thing, with the boxing. There was a correlation there because I got injured. It wasn't this evil, vindictive, man, I, I want to be a drug guy. Right. It was like, I got prescribed the, this pain medication because I got my front tooth knocked out. So I'm going to take it. And, and my, you know, um, and I, I don't say this to take anything away from my parents, but they, they didn't, they just, you know, I had it in my room. Right. They didn't monitor it. They didn't think there was a need to monitor it, I guess. They were busy with life just like I am today. Right. We overlook things, right? And so that got overlooked. And because of that, it got abused because yeah. it's in my room. And, um, through that experience, you know, I realized, man, I really like the way this makes me feel. But like we were just talking about, it was a moment. Right. But when you don't realize that you can have a life of fulfillment, you look for moments of fulfillment. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was like, wait, I've never felt like this. I didn't realize I could live a life like that right. if I would just truly tap into Jesus. Amen. So here I am after these moments. And when you chase those moments, you realize there's other drugs out there. Mm. And so then you begin to look, you begin to search, you begin to find stronger pain medication. You begin to find that it, you begin to be deceived and know oh, this is helping me, you know? And so that, that just, you ramp that up and, and you find, I found acceptance in that world of, you know, by the time I graduated high school and, and let me just kind of talk about that for a minute. School was a very uh, big piece of, of my life because I was so terrible at it. You know, um, a lot of times it's a big piece of somebody's life because they make, they get the 4.0 and go to the big college. It was a big piece of my life because I allowed it to define such a big part of my life, right? And, and what I learned through that experience, I think now it's about what I've learned from the past and not about, you know, what I'm still damaged by because I've healed from that. What you learn through that, you know, you go through this school thing, you're flunking out, is just because you experience failure doesn't mean you are a failure, Yeah. right? And it, it, it's very similar to what I told you earlier. You know, if, you would, if, if success was a vehicle, and you would open up the fuel tank and smell inside of there, it'd smell like failure because failure is the fuel that drives people to success. Love that. And I'm so thankful looking back, right? And so now, difference before Christ and after Christ, and I may be getting ahead of myself here, but now with Jesus, right, I look at things through the lens of this is still a win because I'm going to learn when there is a loss. And that's how, that's how you create fuel for success. Right. Not by this is terrible. This should have never happened. It did happen. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to process this and move past it or take it with us and carry it with us because it's valuable. And so that all those things, but that came out of boxing and failure and drugs and all those things. And what it boils down to is for me is perspective. Yeah. What lens are you looking at life through? And that all goes into this worldview. Are you looking with, with your Jesus glasses on yeah. or your me glasses on, right? I had to learn to look with the Jesus glasses on. So when you make it about other people, God makes it about you. I didn't know that, and that's not why I made it about other people. I made it about other people because Jesus said to serve people. So I can relate to what it's like to you know, not do well in school. Then my mom's got a doctorate degree. She's a veterinarian. My mom too. She's got a master's. And yeah. so that's the shoes that you feel like you, you have to feel and I'm where I'm failing. I'm in I'm not, there was never sometimes I made D's and F's and I was in special classes. Right. So I'm not going to get it like these other kids. Cause these other kids are going to go to college. They're going to do something great. Remember the hero thing I talked about on the yes. front end of this. That's, that's like when this thing starts to dissipate in most people's lives. And it did with me too. The hero, personification begins to evaporate when you begin to realize like 
man, this looks like this might be the road to success, A's and B's and a great education. And this is not a road that I can travel on because I can't even read. Right. Adversity introduces you to yourself. Right. And and a lot of these people have not experienced the adversity that maybe me and you did, albeit through the farming or boxing or, you know, football in your case, whatever it may be. Right. And I love it. Adversity introduces a man to himself. And then sometimes even still you realize that's not who I like. I was just introduced to somebody I didn't like. In other words, something blew up in my life, and so did I. And my mantra is when things go wrong, don't go with them. Right. Dude, that's great. What would you consider your rock bottom? Yeah, the rock bottom for me was homelessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where the, the, all of these things that I talked about, you know, with the drugs and the boxing and the low self-esteem and all these character defects culminated um, at a time in life. It was 2009. I was 23 years old. It's about 15 years ago. I was, I was homeless. I, I mean, I, I remember eating at the soup kitchen in downtown Lafayette for a meal and, and being ashamed and embarrassed, but, but re- realizing this is where this is my life. This is the reality that I've created for myself. And that was the key. I didn't know that. I had created that reality for myself. God had another reality for me. So that's my rock bottom, right? And there's there's only one place to go when you're there is up. You know, I always tell people, you know, if you're going to fall, try to fall on your back. At least you can see up. You know, I think Denzel Washington says fall forward. Now, fall on your back so you can see up. My goodness. And so I did fall on my back. I could see up. And I could see that there had to be something else, right? And so at that stage... um, my grandparents, everybody. I had stolen money from family. I had broken into my mom and dad's house, stolen, you know, coins, coins. They had a, they had a five-gallon thing of coins. I took like half of it and spent hours at different coin stores converting that to cash to buy dope mm. and, and gotten caught. Yeah. They called me, come to our house. I didn't know why because they had put up no trespassing signs and said, don't ever come to our house. And my dad said, I want to talk to you. This is my rock bottom. He said, I want to, I want to ask you a sincere question. I said, what is it? He said, did you take money from us and come into this house while we weren't here? And I began to weep. And I said, yes. And my dad shocked me with his answer. His reply, he said, I think there's still hope for you because you were honest. Wow. Get out of my house and don't come back here. Hmm. And I left. And I went back to the streets. But through that, my grandparents... They were aware of the situation, the circumstances surrounding my life, and they opened up, not their home, but their barn where they had a window unit. That was the level of trust that I had sunk to with all family members, even my grandparents. And I'm glad they did that because they had to protect themselves, but they also were trying to protect me in some sense. And so the deal was you'd stay in our barn. There's a window unit. I put a cot in there. And we'll we'll provide a little food for you. There's a little fridge in there, some sandwich meat and stuff. And you got 30 days to figure out what you're going to do with your life. So I felt like it wasn't a great opportunity, but it was an opportunity. And because of the way that I was raised, I learned how to recognize opportunities because that's what my dad gave me. He didn't give me money. You know, he didn't give me toys. He gave me opportunities to get those things. Right. And so I knew what an opportunity looked like. I moved into the barn. Two weeks after that, the, the other requirement, you got to go to church. Well, that's a doozy. I'd quit going to church as, you know, as soon as I got, was able to drive. Mm. I'm done with this church thing. Well, I started going back because it was a requirement now, right? Right. And through that, met a guy that I used to do drugs with, sell drugs to, buy drugs from at church. But he was a different guy than the guy that I used to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Same name, looked, looked different even, right. had a glow with him. Name was Matt Milliman. Okay. What'd you do, Matt? 
he went to adult and teen challenge. So I, I you know, I, I figured maybe that's my ticket and that's what I began to pursue, you know, to like something to help. And it wasn't, we're talking about, you know, my relationship with Jesus. I wasn't pursuing this to like get tight with God. I was pursuing this because I was homeless and addicted to dope. And I was ashamed to be in my city. I was missing both my front teeth. You know, when you see me now, when people see me, I think they, they don't understand the, the depths that I came out. You know, you're, you're talking about you're missing teeth. You look bad. You're ashamed. You're embarrassed to be, you know, you're, you're not showering daily because you live in a barn. You have a vehicle, but you can't afford to put gas in it. And you locked the keys in it and can't afford to pay Papa Lock to get the keys out. So you're on foot. So this is, this is where I'm at, right? right? So I'm not going to this church because I'm looking for God. I'm going to this church because it's the only path that I have left to go down. God knew what he was doing. <laughs> he cornered me, dog. Mm-hmm. You know, rock bottom looks different for everybody. You got to eventually die to yourself and have nothing left. That's it. And that's, for me, that's for some. For, right, and I'm like you. Too. I'm stubborn as all get out. Right. You, but you, I will quit when I'm dead. Yeah. And so, and God knew that. And he said, okay, I'm going to bring you to a point where you feel like you're dead. Right. Dude. The only thing that you can do is be on your knees. Like you're going to have nothing. That's it. No money. I had one change of clothes. I remember. Yeah. So. And man, like. I look at you now, and it, it is hard to, to imagine you at, in that state. I almost have to imagine myself in that state to right. even go back to where I was and where I'm not taking care of myself. I'm literally drinking every night. I'm I'm actively trying to kill myself. Yes. I'm trying to fill this giant God-shaped hole in my heart with women and money and cars and all the stuff. And you're still empty, so there's nothing to live for. Right. And so you end up realizing nothing will make me happy. Right. Nothing on this earth will make me happy. There's only one thing that will make me happy, but I don't know what that is. Well, at least at the moment, I didn't know what the one thing was, but I felt this calling for God to like, he was pursuing me. And he's like, you're going to have nothing left. People are going to find out about what you've done, but I'm going to be there with you. And I had some hope. Whenever I started building a relationship with Christ that I could change or that I was designed for more. Yes. I was designed for so much more than this because this, this can't be the end. People fighting and everything you see on the news and, you know, all the stuff going on out there. This can't be what life is designed to be like. Yes. This is what a fallen world looks like. All I have to do is flip on the TV and I'll see it. But what I realize is the more that I'm around Christ followers, the more this is what living feels like. It, yeah, well, they serve other people. Right. And so I got, here's the thing. My whole life until that moment, I had tried to serve myself. What am I here for? Why am I here? Right. What do I need to be doing with my time? What's, what's best for me? It was all about me my whole life. I'm trying to figure me out. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. People have to figure out why they're here, right? But when that's all you after, when I went into that program, that Matt Milliman Adult and Teen Challenge, that, that Christian-based, faith-based program, it was a slow climb. I didn't, it wasn't this radical. I'm saved. I believe it was like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. Right. But here's what I started doing. I noticed they said Jesus came to serve and not to be served. So we need to follow Jesus. Right. So everybody was serving other people. The staff were serving the students and some of the senior students were serving me because mm-hmm. I had just, and I'm thinking, you know, so over the course of time, imagine you're, you're seeing all this. So you start to participate, man, let me serve somebody. When I begin to serve people, Will, I thought to myself, now, that, that's something worth my time. This is something worth living, worth doing, right. right? Because there was this sense of fulfillment that I'd never got before because I was doing something I had never done that was life-giving. Right. Not for me, but for other people, but it still gave life to me. And that principle orated in my mind, there was this connectivity where I was like, wait, I have to give off what I need. Even when I don't feel like I have what I need because I need what I need, I have to give it off. In other words, if I need help, I have to give off help. Yeah. 
That's good. Yeah, think about the Jesus. I mean, he he served people in that capacity, washing their feet. He wept when people when he didn't have to, so we would know how to mourn whenever yes. he's weeping for Lazarus. God chooses and his son, Jesus, he didn't have to. He could have snapped his fingers and Lazarus could have popped right up. A hundred percent. He made it okay right, for us to do too. Yeah. yeah. Meek isn't weak. It was used to describe power under control. Wow. And that stuck with me. Like that's what the word meek That's good. Is. Power, power under, under control. control. Like because that's where success is, it comes from. If you think about it on any level, if you can have that control element over our emotions that yes. Christ gives us, where we don't react, we respond. And that that's meekness in its greatest form. When life hits you with an uppercut, with a combo, that most men can't stand to. You stay standing. How has your life changed since accepting Jesus? So you were homeless and you're in this desperate place on your knees. You're going through adult teeth challenge. You're learning how to serve yeah. others and you're feeling some joy from that. So what, what has God done to bless you? Yeah, so, so it was an uphill climb. Adult and Teen Challenge is a one-year program and I was there four years cumulatively. Because of my poor academic skills, it took me two years to complete a one-year program. And because I felt called by God to some level of ministry, I stayed there and worked two years. And here's the thing. Remember the lens that you look through, how I talked about that? I, by, by this time in my life, into the program, I'm, 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 I'm perspective-driven and Jesus-driven. So I'm, I'm looking at this perspective and I'm thinking, m- most people go to college four years to get an education. Yeah. I did it a little different, but I've been gone for four years. And, and felt like there was healing. I was relieved. Drugs was the last thing on my mind. Helping people was the first thing on my mind. I got to help people. I didn't realize people could get off Oxycontin and heroin. I thought they just all died eventually. So that was my destiny. When I realized there was a much greater destiny, I was a hero again. Right. And I'm not saying that in a braggadocious way. I think everybody's got to live by their convictions. And my conviction was I showed up on the earth to do something great. And I am part of a kingdom. And I'm not just a peasant. I am a king in this kingdom. Love that. Right. And so I have to operate like a king. And so I'm getting excited thinking about it. But I launch out from the, the, the launching pad of Adult and Teen Challenge, which was in Missouri, back to Lafayette. Right. And I'm looking for work. What does anybody do when you get out of treatment? Like you got to find a way to sustain yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Remind you, I was before I was selling drugs. I knew I could sell. And so I was like, man, I need to find I need to find something to sell. Well, I found there was an oil field company that hired me to sell oil field equipment. So that was a great start because through that experience, it all it did was affirm the gift in me to sell and to connect with people. In the meantime, I realized there's a teen challenge in my hometown. And so I started sending people there. I started telling people, hey, I have a solution. Not, not people that I ran with before, but because I was plugged into the local church, mamas would send their, hey, can you help my son? Right. Hey, my daughter. Hey, I've got this going on. And I was just the 911 guy. And that was my heart. I was just going to help people. Well, through the course of helping people, right? Helping this guy, Kylan. And I didn't realize, but he was going to be my plant manager for a honey business that I hadn't even started yet. And so I ended up starting this honey business on the side because the oil company was not really paying me well, right? You sell a $2 million piece of equipment and you still take home the same paycheck that Friday. The only person did good on that deal was the guy that owns this thing. So through deductive reasoning, Will, I need to own something, right? That's just simple math to me. Like, oh, that guy did well and I need to own something. And so that way I can blast that out into the universe for God. So I knew honey, remember? The apiary, right? So I had moved back home and got married. My beautiful wife, it was was such a a high point in my life when I married Marcella. She's Brazilian. I couldn't believe a a woman that beautiful would be attracted to me and want to be 
little life with me. So me and her, we're living in a one bedroom apartment and I'm hand bottling honey. Hey, let me just start small. I get a couple of hives. This is not like a big, this is a long shot. I'm thinking, let me try to make eight or $10,000 a year. Cause I'm making $28,000 a year. And my wife makes way more than me. Yeah. And we're living in a one bedroom apartment and going to the farmer's market on the weekends. And I'm delivering to small retail stores in Lafayette in the mornings before work, right. work in the oil field all along. I keep saying this cause this is the key that turns my ignition. And I believe God's to helping people. I'm helping people. I t- it was something that I learned in that program that was worth doing. And I thought I, it doesn't make any money. Nobody sends me a check when I help anybody. But I don't care because this is why I'm here. This is the purpose I'm here. And I believe that if I keep doing this, God will give me the resources to do it on an even greater level. And guess what he did? So this honey thing, right? It starts to take off. I didn't get distribution. I was my own distribution, right? Right. But I knew about distribution. I'd sold drugs. You have to know about distribution. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not trying to be funny, but isn't it ironic that what the enemy tried to take you out with, sometimes God wants to use that to blow you to the next level. That's exactly what he's doing. Here I was, this drug distributor, drug dealer, whatever you want to call it. I wasn't some Pablo Escobar, but I was selling some drugs. And and God says, I'm going to take all of that. That's actually skill and talent wrapped up in the wrong thing. And so when you can take that, what the enemy tried to develop in your life to kill you and allow God to not only develop it and mature it, but use it for the kingdom, it's the next level, dog. And a lot of these guys, if they could realize that and see to the other side of that, they'd go to the next level. It's exactly what happened to me. You know, I began to apply those principles in in the honey business. Well, man, I used to be able to do this, this, and that when I had nothing. And now I actually have a little money in my bank account. And I have a beautiful wife, yeah. so I'm going to bring her to the meeting with me. <laughs> Maybe they'll buy the honey. You know what? It worked. Yeah. It worked. I mean, that's how we picked up Walmart, you know? Right. Well, man, like, so you started this honey business. God is putting people in your life. Your wife, huge influence. I've yes. met her. My wife loves her. You're, you're getting people around you that love Nathan, and they love Nathan for who he is. That's one thing that I love about my wife is, like, she loved me when I had nothing. Yeah. She loved me when I was uh, rude, Same mean, here. safe, like, you know. <laughs> God knew what he was doing when he, he he put these women in our lives. If you're out there and you don't think marriage is important, let me tell you, man, you find a strong Christian woman, she will help pick you up. If and you, jump your butt when you're acting like a fool. Amen. And that's a blessing, too. Accountability to an extreme. Yes, sir. <laughs> so I've been told multiple times what I am and I'm not going to do from a place of love. Absolutely. And uh, I'm just grateful for that. So how did you go from bottling honey by hand to where you are now? You know, it was progressive. A lot of people, I think they look at, and because I, I used to do it, they look at big businesses and, and there's like the, all these assumptions, right? Like, but let me tell you, man, this, this company was a very slow progression. Remember how I told you how I got good at boxing? Yeah. That's how I did it. I was persistent. Mm-hmm. I just kept doing the same thing. Yeah. And, 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 and I'd get little breakthroughs every year. I'd pick up another retailer. I'd learn something else about distribution. And then over the course of time, I saved my money. I did not realize the honey business could support not only my family, but 13 staff here now in the facility. I didn't know honey could do that. Right. You know, think, you think about it, you think, how big can honey be? And so it started out really small and progressively, I realized like, man, God has put me in an industry that is burgeoning. And it's it's a natural thing. People want it. And here's the coolest part to me. God made it. I don't have to go do anything to And that was the other thing. I'm like, so who's your plug? It's God. Right. You know, <laughs> used to be in it used to be in Dallas. Right. Now he's everywhere. Where's your plug at? He's all over the place. You wow. know. Yeah, he's he's making the honey. He's the one that, that invented it. And so anyway, how do we go from hand bottling? It was progressive and I always looked ahead. 
you know, I think that's important. If we can anticipate things, and I think God helps us do that the closer we get to Him, right? And that's it's just about preparation. What do you say? Count the cost of a tower before you build one, and it all plays into that, right? And so I looked ahead and I realized this could be big. I need to make room for this. I started saving money. And in 2019, I bought this place where we're sitting right now. We're running about 13,000 square foot. And I hired Kylan, a guy that I took to Teen Challenge in 2018 to run the plant. And you know how much he knew about honey and manufacturing? Zero. You know how much I knew? Zero. I was hand bottling. I didn't have a, a forehead piston filler with 13,000 square foot. And I had a garage with a hand filler. And so we learned together. As it stands today, we're, we're the largest honey supplier on the Gulf Coast, you know. And I don't say that braggadociously. I just, that's the truth. Sure. It's just authentic. I mean, it is what it is, you know. We love your honey. Like my wife and I, and just to, to plug how Nathan's heart is, he was willing to let some homeschool kids and I kind of see how things work. Yes. Uh, and so we got to come meet Nathan's staff. Really quickly realized, man, these people remind me a lot of Nathan in his heart, in his compassion, in their work ethic, their resolve. There's Christian music on. When you came on that field trip, we told people that, hey, y'all bring family because that's our heart. So they did, right? There was an, an older gentleman and I had no idea, but he was with his, his granddaughter because her dad couldn't be there because he was suffering with a drug addiction. Months later, he calls me and he says, hey, I was at your place on a field trip, right? And he says, the power of God was there. And your staff told me yeah. their stories. A lot of my staff are like me. I read your story it's right there on the wall. He said, can you help my son? His son's in Teen Challenge today. That's my heart. Those meetings, those homeschool you know, yeah. uh, tours, whatever you want to call it, those type of meetings, those are more important than the Kroger and Walmart meetings to me. Kroger and Walmart is going to happen. God's going to take care of that. I got to keep taking care of his people, though, right? Well, you did. You touched my life in many ways. I look at you as an inspiration, man. One of the coolest things about this place is it's built literally on the Word. We've got Bibles in the foundation. That is incredible. It, it was it was something I did. Some people may say it's hokey. I thought it was neat. I said, hey, I don't care if they're believers or not. If they step foot on this land in my facility, they're going to walk on the Word of God. That's how it's going to be. And it's symbolic, and it's important to me. And I think it's important to the Lord, too. Yeah. Talking to the kids about that and like this man believes in the Lord so much so that the staff that he has working for him, they believe too. And they see how God has impacted this man. Either they know him or they know his walk. And he literally plugs in the Lord every single day through the music that's in this place. The foundation literally is the word. And so how could you not want to be at work? Like to me, that was like, I would love to work at a place like that. That's like talk about culture and like building a business from the ground up. How is it not going to be a success? That's it. And that's, we didn't do it to create success. God sets you up for success by just asking you to serve him. Doesn't he? Just serve me. And he doesn't tell you what's on the other side of that. I served him and I found out. And I can't, and I think it's different for everybody, right? It may not be a honey manufacturing facility or an entrepreneurial endeavor for everybody. But what, it, what I will say is this, it, it's greatness, Whatever's on the other side of you serving God is greatness. And for you, it's satisfying and fulfilling, and it's different for everybody. Right. But it's greatness. How can listeners pray for you in this business? Yeah, so specifically in the business, just that there would be a con continued wisdom. The wisdom of God would be, you know, eminent and operating in me and through me when I make decisions. And that we would continue to get opportunities to help people yeah. as a company. That, that God would send people from the community to us and leaders and people to see what we're doing here so we can share with them the joy of Christ because great people have been to this place to look at it because of what we're doing here. And anytime anybody comes, they get, they get the gospel. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> They're not going to leave without it, you know? Right.
And I know you mentioned Adult Teen Challenge and how it changed your life and changed many of the men of in this building's life. You know, you'd mentioned about what it's doing now yeah. and like how it's blown up recently. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I, you know, as as was said in the podcast, my heart was always to help people. One of the ways I helped them was just getting them the Teen Challenge. So this is like a policy for me. It's my life's work. I've sent well over 100 guys to Teen Challenge since I've been through 15 years ago. Well over 100 guys. And so my point is that I'm making is... I. I didn't realize I needed help or I could reach a much larger number of people. But basically in 2020, the church that I go to found out what I was doing and they were like, hey, um, man, we want to help you. And that's what God does, man. He, If you're doing a God thing, it will be multiplied. Yeah. Rest assured, if it's been years, your time's coming. Just stay consistent. It will be multiplied. So this pastor from the community says, let's help you get guys a teen challenge. What does that look like? And I wasn't sure. And we, we talked through it. Well, they raised a large amount of money and they made announcements in church and still doing it was the legacy fund, which is the big push for our church to get guys that, and girls the teen challenge. And since then, in 2020, me partnering with the church and the other people, they've even hired staff to get people to teen challenge. The church did. So I feel like what I used to try to do single-handedly and was okay at it. I now have like a team of paid staff that actually work for a church that are professionals that help me. I don't have to Google plane tickets and try to figure all that out and then tap into my bank account, which I did not mind to buy all that. I just call the church and I'm like, Hey, I got another one. And they're like, awesome. Send them. Yeah, so good. It did. it's like a meal and I and, and a good meal, a godly meal. You know what I mean, though? It used to be like, you know, a very treacherous thing because I am trying to run a hefty business and, and my family and all that. So it was like to find plane tickets and individually help all these guys. Now we have a team that does it. Right. Teamwork does make the dream work. Amen. Yeah, I love that. And then what would you tell somebody that might be experiencing their rock bottom or just listening in today? What would you what may be some words of encouragement you would share with them? You know, obviously, don't quit. You know, if you don't quit, you win. Sometimes people don't know how to win. They're not sure the path. Just don't quit. Don't quit and you will win. Okay. I know that sounds simple, but it's very true. So that's what I would say first. And then the second thing I would say, um, especially if you're, you're interested in, in going maybe, you know, to the program and, and you think, Hey, I have to check out for a while and get some help. Um, call me, yeah. you know, 337-446-3588. Call me. You know, that's my office number. Leave a voicemail, send a text message, and, and we'll help you. We'll get you in a, a program. It's I love easy. That. And you mentioned how God like makes things happen. When I started this podcast, you were the first person I thought about. I wow. have I have to have Nathan's testimony. Thank I've you. heard it. And it's just been so inspiring to me to see you go and God move and, and make things happen. And kind of like, you know, Moses on the mountainside, the battle's going on and it's raging and you know, you need people to hold up your arms. Yes. And, and so I see these people coming around you and lifting your arms. So the battle is won. And so I just feel really encouraged by that. And, um, you know, if you had a life verse, what would be your favorite verse from the Bible or something that you find encouragement in? Yeah. So we put a, we put a scripture on every honey bottle on every label and it's first Samuel seven twelve. And this, this scripture comes at a time when, um, when really Israel had chose to not follow God anymore. They said, we don't want God to be our king. We want a king, right? We want to go from theocracy to monarchy. Samuel, the leader of that time, the the judge and the prophet that was leading the nation stood up. And and one of the things he said that was paramount to me and my company and my life is he said, so far, the Lord has helped us. And it's very simple, but that's our declaration, you know, because a lot of people now, I never thought this, but people see what we're doing with honey and it's amazing. Millions of pounds of honey and they can't believe it. And we just want them to know it's not because we're great. 
It's not because we figured something great out. It's because the Lord helped us. This is kind of impromptu, but I think it's a pretty cool question. You know, your daughters might hear this podcast in the future. Right. Your, your wife might. Is there anything that you would want to tell your daughters or your wife to affirm them? Outside of living for God and helping people, they're the priority. Outside of living for God, I, I live for my wife and my kids. I think about them throughout the day often. They are the light that keeps my candle lit in a dark world, man. Amen. Well, Nathan, I've enjoyed my time with you, man. There's so much good stuff here. Thank you for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Tremendous gratitude for having me. It's an honor and a privilege. If you'd like to try Carmichael's Honey, you can find it at Kroger, Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco, or many retailers throughout the United States, or try CarmichaelsHoney.com. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, please help us at www.patreon.com slash beloved by God. As always, God loves you, and so do I.